Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. If you have a Bible, you can go to, let's say we're going to start Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start there. So we tonight are going to look at James the Apostle. Um, before I forget, um, next Wednesday night, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at um, the figure of Hezekiah. So that will be back in the Old Testament. And a uh, one of the rulers there um, in the Old Testament during the divided kingdom time. So Hezekiah is somebody you can look at for next week. Tonight, though, we're looking at James the Apostle. So we're not talking about James, the half-brother of Jesus. We're talking about James the Apostle. So in all of these different character studies, male, female, Old Testament, New Testament, ask the question, who were they? Why do we know them? And what lessons do they teach us? So similar to where we were at a few couple weeks ago when we were talking about John the Apostle, there's going to be a lot of similarities, but... I just we're going to have a little test and see how good your memory is from a couple weeks ago to today. So, talking about James the Apostle, what do we know biographically, factual data about James the Apostle? He's in the Bible. He's in the Bible. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that is great. All right. What else do we know about James the Apostle? Never mentioned they called him Jim. They never mentioned they called him Jim. Okay. <laughs> And certainly they call Jimmy. Probably not Jimmy. Okay. This is a different one. So this is a, you, we have James the half-brother Jesus, but we also have James the apostle. Anything we know about him? Father, mother, sister, brother, daughter? Has a brother John. Has a brother John. Where, how do we know that? Okay, and Luke? He and his brother were fishermen. Uh-huh. And they were called out to call all the fish. Okay. So he has a brother named John, and they were fishermen. And at one point, they were called to haul in the fish. Okay, and you're saying Luke. Okay. What else do we know about him? Who was his brother? You said he had a brother named John. John. Well, do we know anything about John? He was the beloved. The beloved, that's right. All right, so some of you are all looking at me like this is the first time you're hearing these names. And I, I, I want to encourage you, this should not be the first time you're hearing these names. So you had John, and the reason why we know John is because he wrote a whole gospel according to John, and then he also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he also was used by God to pen the revelation of Christ. Okay, so he wrote five different books. So you have James, and one of the first places you see James appear in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 4. So there's 
there's parallels you will see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Different parallel stories. So this isn't the only place that you see it. But in Matthew chapter 4, and if you look down there in verse 21, when Jesus is calling, he starts to call the disciples. It says, and going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother in the boat, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You will sometimes see James listed as James the larger, James the bigger, James the greater. Why? Because if you go back to the list of the 12 apostles that are listed, there's actually two James. You have James the son of Zebedee and you have James the son of Alphaeus. And it is assumed that James, the one we're looking at tonight, was taller in statue, stature height-wise. So that's why they say James the bigger, James the taller, James the greater, just because a reference to his height. But you had two different Jameses that are listed the same way that you have two other names listed in the list of the twelve. You know who those are? So you have two Jameses and you have two what? Judases, right? So you got two Jameses and two Judases that are listed there in the twelve. Alright? So his brother's name is John. We know his dad's name is Zebedee, because it talks about that in Matthew chapter 4. We know they are fishermen. They worked with their father in the fishing trade. What else do we know about James the Apostle? Married? Children? Mother? Favorite Sunday school teacher? Me. Do what? <laughs> no. <laughs> so we don't have any record. We don't have any record that he was married. I'm not saying that he wasn't married. I'm just saying we don't have any record that he was married. Don't have any record that he had any children. Nothing is given in the Bible that would indicate that he did. That doesn't mean he did not. Please don't misunderstand me. Just because it doesn't say it doesn't mean that it's saying that it isn't. So we got to be careful sometimes about making an argument from a position of silence instead of a position of information. So it doesn't doesn't give us any indication of a of a spouse, of a wife, or children. So we really can't lean on that. When we think about the mother, it goes back to what we looked at. When it talked about the, uh, when we're talking about John the Apostle, how you can go to uh, Matthew chapter 27 and Mark chapter 15, and where it talks about the women that are there present at the crucifixion, we get the impression, we get the idea that very high probability that both James and John had the same mother, and the mother's name was. <laughs> Salome. Thank you. Salome. 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 However you want to pronounce it. S-A-L-O-M-E. Alright. So that was most likely the mother's name. And why? Because in one in one account it talks about the, 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 uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And then in another place it calls her by name. But it talks about a different, so you can cross preference if you will. And so most likely the mother's name was Salome or Salome. Salome. I kind of like Salome just because it's easier for me to memorize. Alright. So you have them. Uh, what else do we know about them? Do they have any nicknames? I don't. I got it written down. The Thunder Brothers. What? The Thunder Brothers. The Thunder Brothers. Do you remember where we get that from? The Chosen. The Chosen. Okay. Do you remember by biblically where we get that from? <laughs> See, this is why I encourage you all to bring one of these. Because all the things that we're going to talk about is... 
The Thunder Brothers, they've had a mother that wanted them to... Or am I thinking of a different story? No, no, and we're going to get to that. Yeah, we're going to get to that. She wanted them... <clears throat> Matthew chapter 20. That's what you're thinking about, right, Levita? Sure. Okay, I, th- I thought that's what you were probably talking about. Okay, so so we have there, the, the Thunder Son, or the Thunder Brothers, or the Sons of Thunders. You might remember where we get that from. In the Bible, I know, Miss Carol. I know, I know. Okay, does anybody just okay? See, see, this is this this is why this is why I, you, you guys just keep me always on my toes. Okay, so you think back to, or you think forward to, if you're Matthew four, you think to Mark chapter three. Remember what it talks about in Mark chapter three? We talked about this several Sundays ago on a Sunday morning, where it talks about in Mark chapter three and in verse seventeen, where Jesus is setting aside the twelve disciples, setting aside the twelve apostles. Remember, as it talks about in there, it talks about the son of Zebedee. John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder. Remember that? Remember us talking about that in Mark chapter 3? And you think, where else do you see that from? Well, that's a reference over to Luke chapter 9. And where you get that from in Luke chapter 9 is that they are going into a town and there were some people that were opposing Jesus and the ministry that he was doing. And James and John come up to Jesus and said, Hey boss, this is this is my paraphrase. I need always, always need to preface it. This is my paraphrase, okay? They come up and like, Hey boss, do you want us to call down thunder? And fire and just whoop them and wipe them out. And Jesus is like, chill, guys. Calm down. You're easy to jump to conclusions. Yeah, you're easy to jump to conclusion. You're also easily easy to jump to conflict and to action. Calm down. And so that was the reason why they got nicknamed the Sons of Thunder because they were just very quick to act. They were very uh, um, Impatient, not impatient. What? Impulsive. 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 That's a good word. That's a good word. Okay. So they're very impulsive. So Jesus then gave them the nickname of Sons of Thunder. So it wasn't that the chosen made it up. The chosen actually got it out of the Bible. Ah, So anything else we might know about them? Him, James the Apostle, biographically. Okay. So then why? Why do we know him? I know he's in the Bible. And give me some reasons why we know him versus others. Because I mean, you go back to Mark chapter 3, for instance, and you go back and you read the list of the 12 of the apostles. You know, if you're in Sunday school in your childhood years, you might have gone through some exercises where you memorized the 12 apostles. And there's a little song, a little ditty that goes with that that helps you memorize it. But I think there's, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Um, I think there's very few of us in this room that could name them all in order and all 12. We might get four or five, but I think there's very few of us in this room that could have them still have them all 12 memorized. So what is it about James the Apostle that we say we're going to take 45 minutes tonight and talk about him versus talking about somebody else like a Thaddeus? Why do we know why why is James such a significant figure in the Bible? Didn't he die for he died in, in defense or like in honor of, or not in honor, but in like in defense of. Like his, yeah, like martyrdom. Did he? Yes. How do you know? Because he was there. Because I read it. Where'd you read it? <laughs> a long time ago. Okay. 
Told you she was probably probably a mark. Is it in Acts twelve? Is that where you read it? That's, yeah. Acts twelve and verse two. Did you read it right there? Is that what you're talking about? You're just seeing if I know. That's exactly. I'm on to you. You're trying to see if I'm if I've read the, my Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that is one of the reasons. That is right, Shaney. One of the reasons why we know about James the apostle is that he was martyred for his faith. So you go to Acts chapter 12 and verse 2, which is where she is referring to. You see where um, that Herod grabs a hold of James the Apostles. And it says in verse 1, I'm in Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And then when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So you see right here early in the Acts of the Apostles, James is martyred. Was he the first martyr for the Christian faith? Stephen. 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 Right? So Stephen, that, and where, where do we see that at? Anybody remember where we see that at? Acts 7. That's right. Acts 7, Acts 8. Acts 7 is really where you see the defense of Stephen. And Acts 8 is where you really kind of see the the last couple of sentences talking about the death of Stephen. Alright, so Stephen's the first martyr. James is the second martyr. Who's the next martyr that we have in Scripture? Chosen doesn't tell you that? John the Baptist. No. He would have been before. Oh, okay. So he was he was actually killed while Jesus was still oh, okay. the earthly ministry. Nobody knows. So it doesn't tell us, Shaney. It's a trick question. So it doesn't, I don't know, and maybe somebody's going to say, no, Spence, you missed this, because I miss a lot of things. We don't have anywhere else in Scripture where the next person is martyred. We assume that Paul was martyred at the end of the Acts of the Apostles, but it's not given to us in the text. Now, once you get past Acts chapter 12, Paul is stoned multiple times. In fact, one time he is stoned, drug out of the city, and they think that he is dead, but he was not dead. It was a Monty Python kind of scene, okay? He was not dead yet. So they they drug him out of the city and they left him out there and then he gets up and the whole text says he gets up and he dusts the dust dust off of him and he looks and he goes right back in the same town. It's crazy. So, but from my understanding, we do not see another person. We see Stephen and then we see James and then we do not see another person martyred for the faith throughout the rest of the Acts of the Apostles to my to my knowledge. Okay? Uh, was Stephen stoned to death? He was. Yes, ma'am. He was stoned. So wasn't he a cripple and he asked Jesus to heal him and he did and told him that he wouldn't? Is that the same James? Well, so that is that is another chosen story and that is a that is a story that is played out in um, the chosen TV series and in, in, in that in that drama it is played out. I don't know of a place in Scripture where it talks about James the lesser or James the tinier that where he had an affirmity and he asked to be healed. I don't know of a place. What, is that a different James though? It would be a different oh. James, yes, sir. It's portrayed as a different day. It's portrayed okay. as a different James. So. Okay, so first, first martyr of the apostles. So Stephen wasn't Stephen wasn't an apostle. Stephen was a friend. Huh? What was his title? The deacon. 
deacon. All right, so Stephen was a deacon. You guys got to wake up. All right, so Stephen, so Stephen was a deacon. So the first martyr we have recorded in Scripture, Acts chapter seven, is a deacon. The next one is an apostle. All right, so we know we know James the apostle because he was the first disciple, apostle, martyred there in Acts chapter twelve. Why else would we know about him? So he's not the book. He is not. The book of James would be James the half-brother of Jesus. So, another reason why you would know, and we talked about this when we talked about John the Apostle, is that James was considered to be in the inner circle. Alright, so Jesus had how many disciples? Twelve. Alright, but within those twelve, you see at least a group of three, if not a group of four. Some people would say a group of four. Some people would say that you have Peter, and you have Andrew, and you have James, and you have John. And those four were like the, the, the intimates, if you will, or like that inner circle. And then the other eight were in two other groupings that you'll see. Some people refer to it's just being Peter, James, and John. And that they were the first group group of three, and then you had Andrew and two other ones were in the second group of three. However you slice it, um, many people consider because of the way that they are presented in Scripture. When they will talk about the things that Jesus did, um, the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured, who was there? Peter, James, and John. Alright? Whenever Jesus raised the girl from the dead, who was there? Peter, James, and John, alright? So there is multiple times in Scripture where we see that Jesus had a select group of people. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, after the Lord's Supper, after that upper table, upper room discourse, He goes into the Garden, He plants the disciples there, He goes on with a few other disciples who were they? Peter, James, and John, right? And then he sets them down and says, pray here a while, and I'm going to go a little bit further, okay? So you see this over and over again, how James, the apostle, John, the brother of James, and Peter were always mentioned in this inner circle. They got to see the things that other ones didn't just because of their proximity. Now, why? I don't know. That's a good question to ask Jesus someday. But we do know that James is listed because he is always there in the midst of it. He's always there in proximity. He's always there in the intimate stuff with Jesus. And so that's why we know about him. That's one of the reasons why we probably are spending time talking about him tonight versus Thaddeus or someone else is because of how much he was used in the ministry and how much he saw of the ministry of Jesus. Okay, So we know because he was the first apostle that was martyred. We know him because he was in the inner circle of Jesus. What would be another reason that we knew him, that we know him? The sliders. Is it the sliders? <laughs> is that what it is? The sliders, they just got you all bogged down? Is that what it is? The slide or was it the soup? soup? The soup? The soup's got you all just like you're watching that you just finished Thanksgiving turkey and you're watching the Cowboys. Right? Okay? Alright? It's just habit now. It, now it's just habit. <laughs> I, I I had that tendency, I know. I I I, I understand. It might seem simple, but I don't want us to pass over. One of the basic reasons why we know about James the Apostle is because when Jesus called him, James followed. Now you may say, well, that's that, yeah, that's just kind of the given spence. But sometimes we are quick to run past sometimes the most profound. 
sometimes the most vital, sometimes the most key. If you go back to James, if you go back to Matthew chapter four and you look down there, Jesus is coming down through the, the through the, the seashore there, the only Sea of Galilee, and when he looks at the two boys, James and John, and he calls them, verse twenty two says immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's like that the idea when Jesus came, he didn't give them a pitch. He didn't say, Hey boys, think about it. He didn't give them a brochure. He didn't come day after day after day trying to recruit them. He didn't offer them a big fat signing bonus. He didn't come along and say, I'll give you a better job than what you got now. He just came alongside of them and said, I want you to follow me. And it says they immediately followed him. Why do we know about James the Apostle? It's because Jesus called and he followed. He answered the call. I think that's very important, especially when we think about our lives. And how do people know us? And how do people remember us? And how do people think of us? And how do people? How will people talk about us when our time on this earth is over? What better thing could they say about you someday is that beyond just that when Jesus called, you followed. You know, there's a lot of things they can say about us, but can you imagine just the most important thing about you is that when Jesus called, you followed Jesus. I think that's I think that's really cool. The idea that being known more for that someday than many of the other things that this world seems to be important. Okay? So I think to kind of play it out on that idea about why do we know him? So then what lessons? Are there any lessons that you think about from the life of James the Apostle that stick out to you that you are willing to uh, say out loud? When he called, he came. Okay. When he, when he called, he came. Yes. Yes, ma'am. He seems slow to anger. He seems slow to anger? No. You should be, he should be slow to anger. We should. Yes. <laughs> It's a big lesson for me. Nah. And you know, if people weren't dumb, we'll go with that. Yeah, it, 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 I could be slow to anger if people if people weren't like they are. I think there should be like a co-blame, right? Absolutely. Okay. What other lessons are there? He called them to be leaders. Okay. And not just followers. Right? I said in their mouth, they were leaders, not just followers. Sure. They have the faith like James said. Yes. Yes. The faith to just say, I'm in. I don't know what I'm in for, but I'm in. They have to be good listeners. To get all the information they have. Right. Yeah. And they had to have a good memory, too. A good memory. They studied. So go to Matthew 20. Do I, sir? The fact that they were willing to put it on the line, that they thought Jesus was being this, they were willing to step like put it on the line. Right. That's right. Yes. And they, and they were willing to sacrificially serve, not just when it was convenient or when it was popular. Yeah. So Matthew 20 is a lesson that sticks out to me through the life of James the Apostle. Um, Levita talked about this. Matthew chapter 20 and in verse 20, it says, The mother of the sons of Zebedee came up with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. 
Now this sticks out to me because sometimes when we think about this Christian life, you and I will come to this Christian life with expectations. We come with expectations of what we deserve. We come with expectations of what we are owed. We come with expectations of what it should be like. We come with these expectations of what we think will be involved or required or needed for us to faithfully follow after Jesus. The the mother, Salome, here in the text, when she's coming to Jesus, she had some expectations. She's like, Jesus, all right, my sons are following you, so now I want something from you. I'm coming with these expectations that I want you to do this for me. And the idea of one sitting at the right and one sitting at the left were both considered places of honor, places of importance, places of prestige, places of prominence. So she is saying, hey, you got all these three throngs of people following you and you got all these people in your in your circle if you will but I want my two boys to be the most important men you have around you. And sometimes people come to church. Sometimes people come to the kingdom of God. Some people, sometimes people will come to their obedience and faithfulness to Christ and they will have these expectations. I expect for it to be like this. You know, one of the things that we sometimes experience as a church is that we'll have people come in for the first time. First time visitors come in and we, we, we try. We try as a church. Ron is back there. I am back there. There's other people that are, that, are, that are trying to make sure that no one comes in and does not get noticed, does not get spoken to. Make sure that everybody that comes in, whether this is the first time or the hundredth time, that they feel welcome, that they feel appreciated for being there. You know, but I've had people before that have come in, that have come, attended for the first time, and then left. I reached out to them, and, and I remember very distinctly, there was one response that I got, and the, the criticism was that only two people talked to them. And so they weren't planning on coming back because they just didn't like the idea that only two people out of the entire room talked to them. Now, is that an opportunity for us to church to do better? Yes, there is absolutely an opportunity for us to church to do better. However, when you came to church, <laughs> did you come to church with an expectation that at least seven people have to talk to me, otherwise I'm not coming back? Did you come to church with an expectation? Well, I gotta have at least four people talk to me, or I gotta have this, or I gotta have that. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what is the expectation when we come to church? Are we coming to church to be here to submit ourselves to God and to worship to God? Or are we coming to church to be seen, to be recognized, to be praised, to be lauded, to be patted on the back? What is the expectation? So James and John, their mother here in this text. She has expectations. And every single one of us in this room, every single one of us in this room have expectations. And I'm not saying that your expectations are bad, and I'm not saying your expectations are wrong. But I am saying that we can see historically and biblically where there can be times where our expectations could be unrealistic. Or our 
expectations could be selfishly based instead of spiritually based. Sometimes we can come in with expectations. Well, I'm going to demand this or I'm going to demand that. So we got to be careful. We got to be careful about these expectations. So here in Matthew chapter 20, the mother comes and says, Jesus, I want you to do this. And Jesus is like, huh, I really don't know. So then turn from there to Mark chapter 10. So there's another, there's another lesson that we get. Now this is a parallel passage in Mark chapter 10. But here in Mark chapter 10, you have not just the mother that is speaking to Jesus about the two boys. You have the two boys. You have James and John. And they are coming to Jesus. And it's a parallel passage. The same question is given. Chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to him, What do you want me to do for you? If you have kids very long, you've heard that answer. I want you to tell me yes before I'm telling you what the request is. Wise parent knows? That's a setup. That is a flat setup. So they come to Jesus. We want you to do whatever we ask you to do. And he said to them, verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. So it's just echoing what the mother had said in Matthew chapter 10. They're coming and they're saying, hey, we want a position of prominence. We want a position of prestige. We want to be noticed. We want to be important. We want We want to be the guys. Verse 38. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with a baptism baptism with which I am baptized? Verse 39. And they said to him, We are able. Now, I find that a little bit ironic when you read it in Mark chapter 10 that they look at Jesus and say, we are able. Do you think they fully understood what Jesus was talking about? No. I don't think they did. So Jesus looks at him and says, you want this, but are you willing? And when he talks about, are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? He's saying, are you willing and are you ready to do the same sacrificial things and to take the same steps of obedience and to pursue the same path of faithfulness as I am? Are you willing to do what I'm getting ready to do? And they look at him and they got their chest out and they're all full of confidence and assurity. And they're going, absolutely, we are able. And I find it very ironic. Because it's just four chapters later. From the middle of the night. In a garden. Some soldiers show up. And they don't arrest them. They arrest Jesus. And the Bible doesn't even give us an indication that they threatened the disciples or the apostles. In fact, when Peter takes his sword out and cuts off Malthus's ear and Jesus heals it, we don't have any, we even don't have an account where they even say they're going to do something to Peter. It's like the only reason they showed up was to arrest Jesus. None of the other people were involved, and yet, remember what happens that night? They ran. Now what is the lesson for me? Maybe it's a lesson that that lands in your lap as well as it lands in my lap. But the lesson for me is that I need to be careful about my hasty commitments. 
You know, sometimes it's easy to be in a service. Sometimes it's easy to be in a season of life. Sometimes it's easy to be in a moment and you're just like, you know what, Jesus, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. And we got to be careful. Because <laughs> sometimes we don't know what all that's going to include. And I'm not saying don't commit. I'm not saying don't be devoted. I'm not saying don't follow. I'm just saying understand that this thing called the Christian life is not always easy and comfortable. Sometimes this Christian life requires sacrifice. Sometimes this Christian life is painful. Sometimes this Christian life brings sorrow. Sometimes this Christian life tempts us with anger. Sometimes this Christian life is flat out trouble. I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm not saying that don't do it. I'm just saying that we've got to be careful. It's easy for us as people today to be like James and John in Mark chapter 10. And oh yeah, we can do that. We can do that. We can do that. And then when the times of testing come, we fall. We fold up. We run away. There's a lesson to me when I think about these men, later on in the, the account after Jesus is arrested, Matthew shows us this, Luke shows us this, um, John shows us this, that when Jesus was arrested, there was two disciples that followed and, and wanted to see what was going to happen to Jesus, and that is Peter and John. All right, So they were there, um, they were in the courtyard, that is where you get the, the servant girl asking Peter, aren't you one of his followers? He denies three times, that's when the rooster crows, you know that story. But when you think about James the Apostle, who we're talking about tonight... Where was he at? He wasn't with Peter and John. He had run. Now, I'm not faulting the man for running. I'm not saying that I would have done any better or any different. I'm just saying that whenever the time came, he took off. And how easy is it for you and I to be sure of ourselves when it's easy and comfortable? But not prepared to do the hard things. So then that comes to my mind. Then when you get back over to Acts chapter 12 we were at earlier. So you should in Acts chapter 12. And if you go back and you look at where they're at in the life of the early church. The early church is just exploding. I mean things are just... Peter gets up and preaches and 5,000. Peter gets up and preaches and 4,000. I mean, the, the, the church is just going gamebusters. They are just growing leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds. Stephen gets martyred there in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, and the people start to be scattered. Philip goes up to Samaria, and then Philip goes down to the eunuch, and, and the word is being spread. And then it's just there in the following chapter in Acts 13 is where you see Paul and Barnabas get there in Antioch, and, and the word is going out. And not only just right there in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The word is going out. People are being reached. The gospel is moving forth. And you may think, what a phenomenal time until you see there in Acts chapter 12 and you see James die. It's a reminder that we're always in a fight. Always in a battle. Yes, God allowed it. But Herod was against the Christians. The Jews were against the Christians. And there's a battle. Where he was going. You what? James at least knew where he was going. James knew where he was going, but we, all, we also need to be sober-minded sometimes because it's easy for you not to get in there and rah, rah, rah. It's easy, easy, easy. And then not understand that there will be times 
will be, not may be, not can be, there will be times that we'll be in the valley. There will be times when we will feel abandoned. There will be times when we will feel opposed. There will be times when the enemy is a burden on our shoulders. There will be times that we will be opposed in our desire to be faithful to the Lord. And we have so many examples of people that have come before us. Not necessarily to give you and I a a roadmap of exactly what to do or what to say, but just a reminder to be ready. To be ready, whatever Jesus calls us to do. Didn't say it was going to be easy. And you can just imagine those those apostles that are sitting there in the light. James got beheaded. And now you can just go like, what's going on now? And then it tells us in the text there, and actually, well, the next person that got arrested was Peter. But because there was a Jewish festival, that Herod didn't kill him, was going to kill him. And then it says all the church was just there together. Uh, this is Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. Uh, the earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I mean, so there's this, there's this idea that the, the death of James is what brought the church to just bear down in prayer before the Lord. But why does that, how does the thing come back to us? It just comes back to us to remind us. We come into this thing called Christianity with expectations. And we've got to be careful with the expectations we have. Are they selfish based? Or are they spiritually based? And we also got to be careful of the commitments that we make. We know the commitment that Christ made to us, that He would die for us, that He would give His life for my sin and for your sin. He did that. And yes, He has called us to follow Him, but let us be mindful that this is a commitment. And it's a lifelong commitment. And it's not just an easy sunny day commitment. It's a lifelong. And let us make the commitments to last. In the sunshine and in the rain. And the good times and the bad. Even if it costs us our life. What are the lessons? Any other lessons that stick out to you? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.